Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell, and this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for, yet again, some some sorely needed smack talk. Oh, yes. we, we got to continue our smack talk, Pete, from last time. We do, and you know, I actually thought about it. I have a smack talk story about Knight Rider that I have to share. Oh yeah. Which by the way, I will I would like to say that I was very thankful for all the positive comments about last week's episode of it being one of our most epic episodes yet. And I agree. I thought it was really good. Yeah, it was. So, Universal Studios in Los Angeles, they used to have a uh an area where you could meet Night Rider, where you could meet Kit, right? So I didn't live in L.A. I grew up in San Francisco. My cousins lived in a little town called Bakersfield. And for whatever reason, we were all down in Southern California, probably to visit other relatives. And we decided to go to Universal Studios. And, uh, of course, we wanted to go meet Knight Rider. So the way that this thing worked, it was like they had the car on the middle of this pontoon surrounded by water. I guess that was just supposed to be like, I don't know, cool, I guess, right? And you would wait your turn, and then the person would go, and they'd take you up to Knight Rider. You'd get to sit inside the car, and the car would talk to you, and you could talk back to the car. So, you know, we're waiting in this line. And, and oh, I should also add that uh, the conversation that went on between you and Knight Rider was broadcast over a loudspeaker, so everyone waiting in line had something to do. They could, like, listen to your conversation, right? That's awesome. So we must have been, I don't know, 
10, 12, something like that. I don't know how old we were. Maybe a little bit older. Maybe. But I doubt it. So we go up. I sit on the driver's side. My cousin sits on the passenger side. And, of course, we start pressing the buttons, right? Right. And they're fake. They're fake buttons. Like, you can't push down on them. So. No way. Of course I'm going to bring this up. Tonight, Rider, you know, we're like, hey, why are these buttons fake? They're not real. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> and we totally forget, right, that, that uh, you know, everyone outside can hear us, this conversation. And, you know, and, of course, uh, Knight Rider is like, oh, you know, it's uh, uh, they had to replace them. They're too dangerous, you know, for, for public consumption. I don't know, right? I, I don't remember what he was saying. And we just start picking out everything that wasn't in line with the show. And finally, I go, hey, um, how come the gas pedal doesn't have the lights on it like you did on the show when you'd press down on it? They would light up. There were no lights on this gas pedal. It was just a regular gas pedal. So finally, the guy who's like working the voice for Knight Rider is just sorely annoyed. And he just goes... Well, if you guys are so unimpressed with me, why don't you just leave? <laughs> to Whoa, which, yeah. dude. To which my cousin, who hasn't really said anything the whole time, comes back with the world's greatest comeback. He just simply says, you're not nice like you are on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And of course, by then, they've got the, uh, the people who work there. They've come over and they're escorting us out of Knight Rider. And everyone's just laughing in the audience at these two punk kids, their conversation with Kit. So we used to go through, uh, you know, and that's the thing about growing up in Southern California. And that's an awesome story is you, you would go to these theme parks and like you had like year long passes. And I can remember going, I think it was Universal Studios again. I think they've disabled these kind of interactive things. And I got a story about an interactive thing at a theme park. But uh, for the reason you just can't trust people with them. And uh, one of them was um, they used to have E.T. ride. And they, I don't oh, know I totally visited. remember the E.T. ride. That was there when and we so, visited. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that was there when we visited. I just re- remember being on it. So, we, you know, we would go through first time we went through the E.T. ride. You know, we didn't put our real name down. We're like, uh, you know, oh, let's put like the weird like we'd put stuff like garbanzo or gazebo or any word that just sounded completely ridiculous and see if E.T. would say it. Because at the end, he's there in the basket and he's got his little blanket on and uh, he's like, goodbye, gazebo. And we thought that was the funniest thing. So we would start seeing like kind of pushing them out we just keep going on the ride and seeing what we can make them say you know would we, would he say goodbye stinky people would he you know so we just go through there and do all that kind of stuff yeah see i remember that ride because of that that very thing that you're talking about so what they do is when you would when you would go into the ride they'd give you like this credit card right and so they'd ask for your name and you give them your name and they would you know type it on the computer it imprints on the card whatever and then, like, you would give that to the ride person when you're going through it. And that's how E.T. knew what name to say when your car or whatever it was you were on, because I don't even remember, would leave. And I remember I didn't want to give him my first name because I thought Peter was too common. And I was like, yeah. you know, I want to know that E.T. is singling me out. So yeah. I gave him, like, e. my e. middle name. Me. Right, yeah. And then um, 
I remember you wanted E.T. E. as your personal alien. Oh, who didn't, man? I loved E.T. I think I cried at that movie like three times. I mean, I was what eight when it was out. Who yeah. knows? I still cry when I watch E.T. <laughs> Have you noticed how they how they're trying to like clean up all these old classic movies, and in the end scene, um, right before E.T. like flies over the cops. They used to have shotguns, and now they've tried to erase the shotguns from the cops' hands. No way. Oh, yeah. They're trying to clean up everything and make it politically correct according to 2015 standards. It's crazy. But anyway, so I remember we were going through the E.T. ride, and right across from me, there were like these three Japanese tourists. And the lady's all, what's your name? And they come up with just like some crazy like Japanese name, right? And the lady just gives him the cards, like doesn't even bother to type it in. It's like, there's no way we've got that name on file here. Take the cards and get on the ride. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you would go through and it would, I guess it was supposed to be like, you know, goodbye, Peter. Or goodbye, yeah. Mitchell. Or goodbye, uh, Peyton. And we never did that. We just kept feeding him garbage, like as much garbage as we could make E.T. say, which, it, it, you know, it really... In many ways, it's kind of what you do if ET, if you really had him, like in real life, you'd make him say garbage all the time, right? Well, of course, like if you, you really would. had an alien in your closet, you'd be telling him, like, well, unfortunately, as a kid, you know, you'd be teaching him cuss words and stuff. But you know, the the reality is, you know, with with the ET ride, isn't that the way can... everybody is when they try and learn a foreign language? It's like you want to teach your friends all the cuss words, and they want to teach you all the cuss words. It's like that's the first thing you do when you learn a foreign language. <laughs> That's so true. Except for you, it's but, like you're a Jedi and you know it in every language. We would we would try to get him to say things like, goodbye, I'm going to kill you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's but you'd awesome. have to do it like as if it were like a foreign name, right? Okay, now now I this is actually on my list of things to talk about because I was going to say, okay, so the theme is the top 10 things, I don't even know the number, and that's cool because we're, like, old now, <laughs> and we don't need to obey the rules, right? That's the benefit of being old. So so here's the deal, right? Like, on my list literally was theme park, well, not theme parks, but interactive haunted houses, right? And, mm. and it comes from theme parks because I remember going up to Oregon, and there was this place called the Enchanted Forest, and it was just outside of Salem. And when I was a kid, I would go to this thing, and it was the coolest theme park. Anyone who's listening up in Oregon will know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know if it's still the same way, but back in the 80s, it was the coolest theme park because although it rained all the time and all their stuff was like rotting and, you know, like decaying and falling to bits, it was cool, man. Like you'd go into this like, uh, they'd have like this giant mushroom made out of like, I don't know, plaster or something. You'd go into it. And you would go into this really long underground tunnel and you'd pop up somewhere else in the park. And every once in a while they'd have like a little light. So you could it, it was literally like going into a coal mine for children, right? And and the thing is, is back then we didn't have all these lawsuits. We didn't have like, you know, mom and dad would tell you, like, you know, just come home before dark. You we'd literally go into sewers as kids. We we'd you know, we didn't have all this video game stuff. Like, we had the Atari. We had Pitfall. That was, like, the most exciting thing. It was, like, jumping over alligators and swinging on a vine. Pitfall was Little. such a horrible game. 
I know. And that was like the most exciting or, or, you know, uh, the ET game was the worst ever devised (laughs) for the Atari 2600. Yes. And the Superman game must have been, I think that was developed by Activision and it was equally as bad. It was almost like the same engine, but they took ET out and put the Superman like pixel blocks in and it was the same thing, you know? And, uh, there was only like three octaves of sound in dong. You know, and that was like your sound effects. It was great, man. And so, like, uh, we would go outside because video games just couldn't hold you. After 20 minutes, you were bored. So you'd go out to, like, the park. And and I remember, uh, I I kid you not, I had a bike. It was a Huffy. Remember Huffies? Oh, of course. Yeah. See, people don't know this. They don't know tough Don't they? They still have to have Huffies. I mean, that was like a major brand, even though they were like, everyone knew them as, like, the worst bikes yeah it's yeah, gotta no, still be around single, single mom single mom raising me apartment complex but here's a deal right like and remember tough skin jeans that i actually don't remember okay so tough skin jeans were like the jeans before you graduated into levi levi 501s right those were for like high schoolers but kids had tough skins tough skins were like the knockoffs you get at like jc penny and they were meant to be for like like kids because we played outside all the time they were tough skins they were like they were tough jeans because kids played outside all the time kids today don't do that so you look around number one it's not safe anymore like, that's you know, the thing yeah i mean i wouldn't let my kids play outside and you know i got this theory like abductions and molestations and stuff were happening just as much back then totally but it just we didn't have the internet like it wasn't talked about um kids just lived in secret shame or you know, parents didn't know what to do with it. Like, really, the creepy old guy across the street, are you making this up? And and it, it wasn't, like, a socially aware thing yet. But I can remember, literally, like, we'd be out for hours. We'd come home. We were covered in dirt. You know, we'd come into the house. Mom would be like, take a bath. You're filthy. And and that's how we rolled. But anyways, going back to that, we didn't have all the lawsuits that we had now. Like, we'd, we'd build forts in people's trees you know, we go to the park and everyone, it was like the little rascals. We'd all be like carrying wood and stuff and hammers and nails. We, we would totally do stuff we weren't supposed to do. We'd build on playgrounds, public playgrounds. And someone would come and tear it down, you know, the, someone would call the police on it. We'd go uh, find camper shells and abandoned cars and go make forts in them <laughs> at the back of the gas station. What? It's just funny because I think every kid did that. Well, but like they don't do that to like this is the stuff that the you guys just have to go back and like watch the episode of the little rascals where they they make their own fire station. That so reminds me of kind of like how it was to be a kid in the 70s going into the 80s. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I was going to say was uh, all that to say we didn't have all the lawsuits. So because of that, um, you would go to a theme park and they would have. Like things like, like, okay, so the Enchanted Forest had the creepiest haunted house ever. There's all these mannequins that would move. Um, like you go in the first room, it'd be like a, a court case. And I'd go with my uncle who lived up in Salem. He was deaf, so he couldn't hear all the, you know, Roar, you know, coming out and all the music, you know, but they, they would have like this court case and suddenly someone would like, sh- literally like the judge would, you know, his head would flip and turn into a skeleton and he'd like fly out at you, you know, and, you're behind like the bar type of deal and you'd have to walk through these corridors and mannequins would jump out on wires. It was awesome. But the coolest part about the eighties, you go to haunted houses or things like this and people would grab you 
and shake you and stuff. Mm. Remember that? Totally. And like they can't do that now. You know, that's that's actually assault. <laughs> assault and battery. Is it really? I bet you they still do it just like in the Midwest. Probably. Probably in Amish country. They've got some wicked haunted houses. I, I'm not even going to go there on that one. <laughs> so so here's the deal, right? Is like I can remember in the 80s going to Universal Studios and um, they had this haunted house. And it, it may have actually, I may be lying here. It may actually have been um, whatever year the mummy came out. It may actually have been early 90s. And stuff hadn't kind of gone super political correct yet. And it hadn't been like all like, oh, I'm going to sue you. It was getting that way in the 80s, but it hadn't taken over yet. Now it's just like a different world. But anyways, whatever year the mummy came out, um, they did this thing, this haunted house at Universal Studios. And you would go through the line. And, you know, as you would go through the line, uh, it was a long line. So you'd be bored. So they literally had parts of the ride where you could control uh, certain mechanisms that would scare people going through. And you had a video screen in front of you hooked up to a video camera inside the haunted house. And when people were coming down this corridor, you could, uh, there were these mummies, like these, uh, mummy statues, like with the jackal heads and all that stuff. And they would, um, they would spit out like, you know, the air, like the pssst at people. Mm. And, uh, and there was one button where you could make one of them. He, he had his arms crossed across, uh, crossed across his chest and he would lean out and his arms would extend and people would jump 10 foot high and you were literally controlling it. And I, I kid you not, I can remember staying like telling him, go, go ahead of me, go ahead of me, go ahead of me. And all I did was just stay there and terrify people. And I thought, I don't want to go on this ride now. I just want to stay here all day. Like that would be such a cool job, wouldn't it, Pete? Of like, course. You're just controls and scaring people all day that would never get old. Never. Of course, it would never get old. But you can't do that now. Like now, there would be a lawsuit that would be filed. Like you, you. I don't you know. know. I I told you I was watching uh, Shark Tank. I don't know, maybe tail into last year, and they had this episode where there's a a zombie overnight camp. And these yeah. people were looking That's to get an in investment. Diego. Yeah, I think it is. And um, and they ended up getting an investment from Mark Cuban. And I was like, dude, we have to go to this. I remember that, yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'm down. I bet you anything those zombies reach out and touch you. I think you just have to go to the right ones. I think they still do that stuff. Yeah, probably. Probably. But, but back then it was mainstream. Yeah, back so like, then you could get it at the... Uh, at your your house around the the corner that had like you know the really cool haunted house, yeah. Today you Radio wouldn't do that. You'd get accused of like molestation or something if you yeah. jumped out at the wrong not, person. Not Scary Farm, which is kind of like you know I don't know if you'd say it was Disneyland's competition, but it's definitely an alternative to Disneyland and Southern Cal. And they would do that. They used to they used to chase you with chainsaws with no blades on them, but they would touch you. They'd knock you down. Do they do that anymore? I don't know. Yeah, we had Knott's Berry Farm annual oh, good old last days. year, but uh, never went to Knott's Scary Farm because that cost extra. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, it was expensive. It's more expensive than Knott's Berry Farm. So, it is. Okay, so it go is. on. You, now you share one. What's one of yours, man? Well, one of the things that I would say that younger church planners today will not know about 
And this is kind of a weird one because it's not a TV show. It's not a movie. It's kind of a lifestyle thing. But they will not they, – they don't know the world without the internet. Like they have no comprehension of what the world was like without the internet. No, they don't. Do you know how crazy that sounds? Like, like that's in our lifetime. We went from no internet to like now super fast, blazing internet. And my first internet experience was in 1993. Oh, oh, and along those lines, they won't understand what we mean when we say AOL carpet bombed the nation with those CDs. You know those CDs I'm talking yeah. about? Those get 10 free hours of the internet. I mean, oh yeah, you have to you used to have to pay by the hour. Yeah, to get on the internet, you paid by the hour. Uh, it kind of like some hotels in Los Angeles. Can I not say that? Nope. <laughs> but but um 1993 I went to Biola, freshman in college. They, back then, the everyone was talking about, oh, it's the information superhighway, but where's the on-ramp? Like, no one knew how to get onto the internet. And that's why AOL made so much money, because they're like, oh, we're America Online, even though AOL at that time was not the internet. They were like their own, what's called a BBS, Bulletin Board Service. That's what they were. And then they were like, oh, but we can get you onto the internet if you sign up for our service. And so you'd have this thing called dial-up kids. Kids won't understand what dial-up is. They all think it's broadband and everything else. And um, so I went to Biola, and Biola got the internet my freshman year. And they're talking about, okay, you know, we've got the internet, but uh, really all that means for us right now is your email can be you can basically send it out to the internet and you can get email back from the internet so it wasn't just like you could email other students and this was like big news right oh wow i could you know email like any of us knew anybody who had an email address outside of the university right but um but what happened was once an hour the their system would automatically dial out to the internet. This is all done through modems, kids, not broadband. It would dial out to the internet, and it would send all of the um, emails that it had stored up out to the internet, and then it would receive back any emails that were waiting to come in. Now, the university had like this really weird phone system where every minute they were on the phone, it charged them. So like there was no base plan. There was no... You know, for 20 bucks a month, you get free local calls. Like, every call cost. Yeah. So, when I found out about this, they had these things where, like, you could send an email to a specific email address with a certain subject line, and it would automatically send you something back, whatever you wanted. So, somehow I got this list of all these things that you could request. And, like, an idiot, you know, I'm asking for everything. And one of them was a digital version of the Bible. Well, when you're on dial-up and you're trying to download the Bible, we're talking like six, eight hours of downloading. I mean, we're talking massive downloading. So, of course, I send out the email and I ask for the digital Bible, not because I was really holy, but because I thought this was like really cool that you could get a digital copy of the Bible. It kept their gate open for so many hours that their bill went through the roof and like, I must have heard from six levels of middle management, everyone coming down, what are you doing requesting all this stuff? And I'm like, hey, you guys need to get the always on internet connection. That's your fault. This is my tuition dollars here, baby. 
And uh, but yeah, kids well, today they don't know when you tell them. Well, especially when you tell them I'm downloading the Bible. <laughs> well, I downloaded everything. I think I downloaded like the IMDb, you know, the uh, uh, internet database, the movie database that has like all the actors and all yeah. the uh, uh, movies that they've been in. Like I downloaded that, and it just left the gate open for hours on end. So of and course, no one's email can go out or come in during that time too. So everyone else is kind of ticked at me at the same and time. And people have to understand that prior to the internet, we had computers. We had personal computers. <laughs> we had computers. They just didn't like they printed. It was like a word processor. It printed spreadsheets. It printed word documents. Uh, we actually didn't have word back then. How but about it, the you know, dot like, matrix printers? Yeah, yeah, and it would do dots. Yeah. And then, and then, not only that, um, it would. People don't know what that is. Where it was concentrated dots that made your, uh, and you could see it was dots. If you looked really closely, you're like, okay, it's dots. And then they'd be like, oh, our technology's better now, and it would be dots more densely packed, but you could still see it was dots. And um, so, you know, the the uh, people don't understand that when the internet hit, we had it. We put the AOL uh, CD in. If if our computer was fancy enough to have a CD drive, whoa, CD-ROM, whoa, you know. But then uh, to figure out, you know, it, it connected. I can remember thinking that and, and being puzzled about how to send an email. Like, it wasn't like we just knew how to send email. We literally, like, I, I remember being in college and saving my work. And, and there's a story about my wife, which won't tell. It's her story. Um, but literally you would save your work and wonder, did that just get sent to somebody? Like you didn't know necessarily the steps right away when you got there and you had to figure that stuff out. Mm. Yeah. I, I worked at this one summer camp and they had to use AOL at it. And the, like, because the internet cost you by the hour, apparently, cause I never had AOL myself, but apparently they had this thing called a flash session. So you would write your email offline and then you would do a flash session. So it would like quickly log on to the internet, send out your email and then get you off. So that way you weren't like burning up your 10 hours a month of, of internet. And, um, and I remember I was working at the summer camp and I'm like banging out an email to friends at college or whatever. And so I'm just on the internet for, you know, like I was at college, because by then, you know, the college had the always on Internet, you know, what we would know today as broadband. And uh, and I still remember the director going, oh, yeah, uh, well, you used a flash session, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I used a flash session. Yeah. But no, the kids today, That's they don't understand that. They don't understand. They don't understand at all. And we can't make them understand. But, you know, one of the things that I remember. OK, uh, uh, so here's here's my next one. And then I think we're going to run out of time. You know, you yeah, we're only 25 minutes in. I mean, you know, yeah, only 25. But here's the thing. OK, Rambo cartoons, Mr. T cartoon. And, and I'm just going to put this under the heading of moral cartoons. Right. Because what they did is in, in the 80s they're like, hey. You know what? Like we got guys like Mr. T and Rambo that will, like tear your face off. Let's make children's cartoons out of them. Remember that? that I was, do. Like, the thing. Yeah. They made um they made some really weird cartoons, like cartoons that should have never uh been for children. They had Gilligan's uh, Island in space. Do you remember that one? Yeah. They remember would do the Rick song and they'd Rocket? go 
here on Gilligan's Island. Planet! Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how they ended it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, so they had all these, um, they had, they had, uh, Mr. T cartoons. And Mr. T, he'd be jamming around with a bunch of kids and he'd be like, hey, you know, I'm going to get you, sucker. And like, they do, and all these kids would be like, Mr. T, because we were in awe of Mr. T. I mean, Mr. T was like, remember the episode of the Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder, where his dad hires a bodyguard for him? And I, I don't remember that episode. Oh, see, I'm a little bit older than you. So, like, basically, his dad hires it, and it's Mr. T. And he goes to school. And that this is where it comes from, where uh, if you get the little Mr. T in my pocket, it comes from that episode where he go, the, the teacher's taking a role, and she goes, uh, your name? And he goes, first name, Mr., second name, T. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to do it the right way, because I do remember that one now. He goes, first name, Mr., middle name, that little dot, last name, T. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when like kids would do the uh, um, uh, they started like the teacher walks out of the room and everyone starts balling up their paper and throwing it at each other. And he like covers Ricky Schroeder with his body like he's taking the hits for Ricky Schroeder and all the yeah. spit wads and everything are bouncing off Mr. T. Yeah, I totally remember that. Come on. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he- here's the thing is like you had like, how are you going to uh, make, you know, a, a-, a cartoon you know, with like Rambo here, this would be like the average episode, right? They'd be somewhere like up in the ice, you know, up in like the Arctic or something. Never mind why people let their kids go with, you know, Rambo up to the Arctic, but they'd be up there and like there's, there's snow, uh, there's snow plow or whatever would break down in the middle of nowhere. And then a pack of like wild bears or dogs or something would come and they would, you know, be really in danger for their life. And suddenly Rambo, rather than like bringing out a, a bazooka or a rocket launcher or a machine gun, he'd suddenly go, I think I have. And it wouldn't be his real, you know, Stallone wasn't actually voicing the thing. He'd be like, I think I have a peanut butter jelly sandwich in my backpack. And he'd reach in and he'd pull out a peanut butter jelly sandwich and he'd throw it and all the dogs would chase it. And then he gives some to the kids, and it was like it was spinach, and they were Popeye. And I, I kid you not, like this actually happened. I remember this. I remember even as a kid going, what? <laughs> and they take it, and they eat it, and they get all this energy, and they literally start doing cartwheels up this mountain. Hmm. I, you know, I don't remember those cartoons, but that's that totally sounds like something from back then, back in the day. Well, Absolutely. And now they make these shows that are intentionally like this. Things like the regular shows, SpongeBob SquarePants, where you're just like, that's just weird. But, you know, weird is the new normal. Because for us, man, that was like, you know, that was just how it was. That was just how car and they were they were trying to be serious. I think they were trying to make some weird point that we just weren't getting even as kids. Like, that's weird. You know, but I, I that, would that say that. I mean, one of the things that you said that totally reminded me of a great childhood memory was uh, First Blood, that movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, such a classic. I even bought it on Blu-ray. It's such a classic movie. Like, I I wanted to have that. Yeah, absolutely, man. There were just, you know, there was G.I. Joe. There was the... uh, 
what do you call it? The um, the GI Joe. Uh, we're at the end. There be that uh, that little moral episode. And knowing is like, half the battle. GI yeah. Joe. Yeah, like, okay, so like kids would be like, you know, drilling something, making maybe you know, repairing a skateboard or whatever, skateboarding without a helmet, whatever. And then some cast member of the GI Joe show would would suddenly turn up in their garage and they'd be like, "Whoa, it's Duke!" Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden. It would be like uh, he would teach him about skateboard safety. Yeah. And then he'd be like, there you go. And they'd be like, wow, thanks, Duke. And then and then one kid would go, now I know. And then he'd give a thumbs up to the camera and go, and knowing's half the battle. And, it, it, you know, that was just normal to us as kids. Yeah. We make fun of that now, but that was that was the way. <laughs> yeah, but even back then, we always thought that was stupid. I'm just saying. We would, we would quote it at school. Like, it did get, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say, too, is uh, we actually do need to get on to the, uh, to the program at hand, or church planners are going to be like, am I going to get anything out of this? However, that having been said, before we actually get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode, I need to tell everyone who has Netflix, you need to watch a movie called The Overnighters. And um, we're going to talk about this, I'm hoping, on next week's podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Because there are, and don't, whatever you do, don't Google it. Because there's a spoiler, and you'll know the ending. Like, I, I have not told Peyton. It's so. <laughs> Which is a miracle. I know, because it, it really, it'll, it'll spoil things. Like, you need to see. And the reason why you guys need to see it, 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 it I'll tell you where it takes place, because there's no secret in that. What got me to watch it is I'm flipping through Netflix and it says, oh, you know, based on the fact that you watched Particle Particle Theory, uh, we think you might like this movie. And it has nothing to do with physics or quantum physics or anything like that. So who knows why in the world this movie came up. But it takes place in Williston, North Dakota, which we've talked about before on the podcast. This is a boom town here in the United States where uh, the oil industry has caused this town to grow from like 10,000 people to now they're up to like 50,000 people. There's no places for people to sleep. There's no places to live. Um, everything is extremely expensive there. Uh, I mean, imagine there's, I think they said there's something like a, a an 100 to 1 ratio of men to women. Uh, so just imagine that many men. We're talking about oil workers, roughnecks, all in one location. I mean, crime is out of control. Uh, prostitution, murder, rape, everything is out of control. I mean, it's, it's, it's an American, uh, boomtown that's, you know, ripe for church planning. In fact, we, we've featured in the magazine someone who's doing a church plan out there. And, uh, so watch this, this story because it's all about a pastor and, um, None of it is uh, told in um, you know past tense where they're like interviewing people and this is what happened. It's all real time. So how the thing actually ends is very heartbreaking. Um, but the reason why I think we need to talk about it on the show is this: this movie is really like one of the best ways I, I could tell a church planner, "Look, you need to watch this because all the things that this guy goes through that you're going to see." you're going to go through. Yeah. Like the struggles that he goes through with Christians, with the city, with the what are called the overnighters with um which are basically people who've got no home, the homeless um in in their city. Uh I mean everything you see this poor guy go through 
you're going to go through it as a church planner. You think it's glorious. You think it's going to be some awesome adventure. You're going to go through what this guy goes through, and hopefully it won't end the way it does um, for him, for you. Hey, hey, no more spoilers. I'm not Come saying it, I, it. I'm saying the movie Don't ends. Don't say anything. Well, the guy's story hasn't ended. I mean, I actually okay. reached out to him on Facebook, and he friended me. I was like, woo! And then, and then he died. No, he's not dead. Okay, all right, all right. So, hey, let's get into our topic today. Do we cool. uh, do we need Doc Brown to sing us in? Oh, you know what? Uh, let me let me find Doc Brown now that my iPad is already turned off. So, where is Doc? Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. Here's Doc Brown. Time for today's topic. <laughs> Hold on. Here, here's the real one. All right. Oh, of course I. Time for this week's topic. All right, let me one more time. Great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Okay, and uh, so what is this week's topic there? King Osabi. Okay, well, um, here's the deal. Uh, the, the the thanks for the Lone Ranger reference. I dig that, man. <laughs> here's the deal. We uh, we're gonna talk. I, I don't even know how to introduce this topic other than uh, it's about you know how not to screw it up. Okay, so you have a calling on your life. If you're called the church plant, and you're really called the church plant, um, you are called to a high calling. You are called to expand the kingdom of God. And if you're going to do that, then the enemy surely is going to set his sights on you and he is going to try to take you out. And that's why we always talk about your marriage, that number one, your spiritual walk has to be strong. Because if your spiritual walk isn't strong, you're not going to be able to handle all those things that Pete just talked about. You need to be spending time alone with Jesus. Number two, you need to have a strong marriage. And so, you know, we've hit on this stuff. I mean, Paul really talks about the qualifications of a guy that's that's in ministry, a guy who should be leading people in Timothy and Titus. But I want to kind of come from the backside and 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 give a little maxim that was given to me when I when I first got into ministry. And it's how not to screw it up. Man once said to me, don't there are three rules in ministry. Don't touch the women, don't touch the money, and don't touch the glory. And that's it, right? Those what does the don't three. touch the glory mean? Don't touch the glory means don't let it become about you. Don't let people start shouting your name and how awesome you are, you know? Um, kind of like uh, when uh, Paul and Barnabas or, or Paul and Silas are preaching, and the people start screaming out the voice of a man and not of a God, the voice of a man and not of a God. And, uh, or actually that might've been King Herod. And of course he's, he's struck down dead. And in the adjoining passage, we have Peter, I mean, uh, sorry, what's wrong with me? Uh, Paul and Silas. And they, uh, it says that someone says, this is Apollos and this is Zeus. And they, they attribute, they, they're trying to, it's basically idolatry, human idolatry. It's Gideon taking his, his ephod off, setting it up, and people worshiping it, you know, which happens with great speakers, great preachers, great leaders. Um, it can be a pitfall where you start believing your own press. Your church grows and you think, yeah, I really am that awesome. I really did make this church awesome. And you know what? I'm quite a leader. So like when, uh, when you and I sat down with Rick Warren, as amazing as that dude is, he just sitting across him is just like, this dude's just, he's just Rick, right? Um, he's just a cool dude. And he just sat there talking to us. It wasn't like, 
hey, guys, I got to go talk with the king of Jordan again. Um, sorry, man, the president's on the phone. I'm supposed to to open a ceremony. It was like, no, he's just a, he was just talking to us. And he was having a great time just answering questions and just, you know, whatever. And and so I, I get the feeling that um, don't touch a glory is probably the hardest. You know, if you have a church of 100 and uh, it grows to 200, um, <laughs> as stupid as that sounds, that's still a temptation for you. If you have a church of 20 and it grows to 100, that's a temptation for you. Yeah. Because you think, well, my church of 20 grew to 100. And so, you know, even in a church of 20 people, I can be with a core team. They think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and they talk about it. Oh, Peyton, you know, he's such an amazing leader. And I can get off on that. Now, I've been in ministry for 22 years. And I know how quickly people turn, A, eh? and uh, I expect that on a core team, they're not going to last and they're not going to be around. And I expect that the ones that are yelling the loudest how awesome I are, are, are going to soon be saying, you know, how unawesome I are. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah. that those are the rules. And so I want to talk a, a little bit about those today. Um, and we will stock with, we will start with don't touch a women. So, uh, yeah, just don't touch a woman. Yeah, well, um, I think we almost need to go a little bit deeper than just leave it at don't touch the women. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Because, I mean, this is, a, this is a common thing. I mean, it's common to the point where we hear about it all the time. Another pastor has uh, gotten himself into a situation where, you know, he stumbles and falls on a uh, uh, on a on a you know a sexual purity level, whatever, however you want to define that. Um, obviously, we've talked about it before on the podcast, which is um, it's one of the reasons that I was a little bit you know kind of like, ah, do we really need to to go and talk about this again? Uh, we've already talked about it, but you know, here's the interesting thing as I'm looking at it, Peyton. Um, especially when we're dealing with church planners, like you sent me a video, I haven't watched the whole thing, but you sent me a video that you just recorded talking about, uh, church planning is the most effective way at reaching the lost. And the enemy doesn't like that, right? They don't like that one bit. And so the problem that comes up is the enemy is going to do whatever it takes to take us out of the game. And, you know, people who we'd never think would fall. I mean, um, Bob Coy, we talked about him before, very public, you know, uh, falling. I mean, whenever you got a church of his size, I don't know what it was, you know, tens of thousands of people were at that thing. Largest Calvary Chapel in Florida. I think it was one of the largest churches in Florida, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, it was it was once the fastest growing church in America. Yeah, so I mean, the enemy wants to take you out, and they're going to find whatever your Achilles heel is, and go after it. And the reality is, is we all got an Achilles heel. We've we do. all got something that I mean, press hard enough, we're going to start to feel it. And and this is just an easy one. I mean, it's an easy one yeah. for the enemy to to come after us with and and here's the thing it's a biblical principle right when when you talk about ephesians 6 um 
it, it's a given that if I'm going toe to toe with Satan, I'm going to lose every time, right? I might as well try to take on Mike, Sher- uh, Mike Tyson in, in the boxing ring or whoever it is now. It's flavor of the month. But, you know, I am not going to stand a chance or even last a second with an opponent like that. And, and nor are you, you know, Proverbs says when he says, my son, listen to me. And he's giving all this advice. If you go study Proverbs chapter five and six very carefully, um, he's pleading as if he just knows how stupid you are. Right. And, and, and the Bible knows we're stupid. And so he, he gives you all of these steps to keep yourself from even getting in her path. That's kind of the deal. And so there are steps today to, you know, the, the best is like that Ephesians six, it's, I can't, I can't stand up in this battle because I know I'm stupid. So I need armor. I need, um, I need to be on the defense. So what I would say is, you know, first thing you need to know is you're not strong enough. Okay. Period. So, so uh, suddenly all of our listeners are going, what, dude, what, like, what are you saying? I'm going to fall. No, what I'm saying is the guy who realizes I'm not strong enough to go and bear my chest against sharpened swords says, I need armor. Like I need defensive strategies. And so what I would say today is you need defensive strategies because what Proverbs actually says about those who went down uh, the path to the adulterer's door, it says, and, and this is the part that haunts me. It says, they were all strong men. Okay, no, notice that. It doesn't say they were weak men. Proverbs says, Solomon says, these were all strong men that I've seen taken out mm. by this. And, and so you might be going, oh, I'm strong. And take heed lest you fall. You know, that's a pride comes in and it weakens you because you think to yourself, I'll never fall. Oh, Lord, they'll all deny you. I never will. And before the night's up, he's done the very thing he swore he'd never do. And how many people, you know, have, have said that? And here's the deal. When it comes down to it, you need to put yourself out of the pathway. You need those defensive strategies to keep yourself from it. And so here's the deal. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about a couple things that you need to, to ensure that you are going to stay clear of touching the women. Number one, and, and just to go back, I, I served uh, under uh, a minister who fell years back. Um, I, was, I started off a youth pastor, went on to be the assistant pastor. And before I knew it, I was the interim pastor of a megachurch because the pastor had started counseling women. And when my sending pastor came in, he replaced all of the doors on the church offices as glass doors right that you could see through because a lot of the shenanigans were going in under the guise of quote unquote counseling uh marital counseling right and so the first thing is guys you never ever 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 counsel women period um you don't counsel women with your wife in the house okay so some guys would be like oh but you know she comes over i'm the pastor she has to talk to a pastor well let me ask you something why should you have to talk to a man? I mean, don't women pastor women? I surely hope so. Because the danger of men pastoring women is here comes a woman and she says, oh, you know, my, my husband, he doesn't listen like you do. Ding. You know, women, that's all they need is someone to listen to them. If that's and, all they needed, man, I've been screwing up. 
I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Somebody give him a little compliment. Somebody I don't listen. know. Maybe my wife's been telling me that. I haven't been paying attention. You surely have not. And part of it is because you're a man, you don't get how simple it is. But this is the deal. A pastor comes in, and it is his job to listen to people. Um, it is his job to listen to their problems. Now, surely she starts doing the math. Well, this guy's really attentive, and he's really... And so the rule is for me, and I have had people get furious with me. You know, this is sexism in the church. And I just say, hey, you know what? It's just the rule I have. And my wife is plenty competent to talk to you. And and my attitude is just kind of deal with it. And if you don't like it, that's cool. You ain't worth me changing my policy and jeopardizing my marriage over. Because I know that eventually, even though you're ugly, one day there's going to be a cute one that comes through who likes me. And the reality is I'm not put, and even if they're not cute, it's besides the point. Why would I put a member of my congregation into a position? It's not even about you guys. It's about the fact that you might be sitting there and some chick's getting totally infatuated with you and under the guise of you spiritually helping her. That's just twisted. So guys, you don't do that. And number two, here's what I've seen often happens is particularly people who go into ministry, psychologically, a lot of guys go into ministry who maybe they're called, but deep down inside they have issues of abuse or they have issues of self-esteem and maybe they're molested as kids or maybe, you know, there could be all kinds of different things going on. And what happens is when you minister and people give you approval or adulation or admiration, It feeds that black hole, that self-esteem black hole, that wound that you have psychologically from your childhood or whatever it is, and ministry becomes like a drug. And you will do anything you can to have people talk about how wonderful you are, to compliment you. If your sermon sucks and no one compliments you, you have a hard time. The self-esteem need um, when you let that be, and this goes back to touching the glory, but statistically, they found that most men who commit adultery, it's not because they couldn't get sex elsewhere. It usually has to do with self-esteem. They say, she made me feel worth something again. And it goes back to that age old, I didn't feel like a man or I didn't feel you know, uh, like, you know, I, I was, I was something worth loving and she made me feel like I were, or she made, you know, it all goes back to self-esteem again. Hmm. So what's your advice? And I, I've got two zinger questions for you. What's your advice for pastor's wives? Because it would be naive to say that only the pastor is the one that's tempted. Um, and I don't think that's a good point. Uh, we'd be totally naive. I mean, you and I both know of women who have uh, stepped out on their husbands and just the nightmare that has ensued, you know, because of that, because the enemy is going to go after whoever he can go after to break it up. What are the safeguards that uh, that the wives need to put in place? Is it, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, like at what point does. Well, I'm not counseling, you know, Joe. I'm just, you know, talking to Joe. You know, what are the safeguards? Does that even make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually think it's the same thing. And I think that, you know, you could you could find yourself, for example, um, on, like, for example, the rules that I have. If someone texts me, if a female texts me, uh, there's a couple things. Like, number one, I'm, I'm very careful about Facebook. I'm really torn. Every time I get a female who asks me to be her friend on Facebook, I, I tend to hold off. If they're a part of my ministry team, I put them on, but I communicate in with my ministry team as a group. I don't like communicating privately with females. And so, for example, and my wife the same. My wife says to me, like, we'll, we'll be in our neighborhood. And she'll say, you know, and, and this is something she's had to point out to me, is because women will get their self-esteem made if a man shows them attention. There are women mm-hmm. where all they want is men to just show them some attention. And they may not even like the guy, but it, it just does, it feels, fulfills some need that comes from, I mean, first off, God designed them that way, right? Um, we're supposed to treat our wives like they're just incredible. And, and, and I'm not always good on this. I mean, my wife is incredible, but there's times where I got to up the romance and she'll even tell me, she'll be like, Jonesy, you know, you're, you, you need to go back to romance school a bit, you know, and, and, and she'll be right. And, uh, <laughs> No, but it's true though. Yeah, it's I, hilarious like, to me because if my wife told me that, oh, she'd be a hundred percent right. I don't know that she would actually get more romance. I'd be like, hey, babe, we're married now. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> the romance store is closed. <laughs> no, but but it's important. And and the danger is when a woman doesn't get that from her husband, she starts looking for it elsewhere. She starts picking up books that make her feel those feelings. She's been designed. And she, by but that. she may not even know that that's what she's doing. Like I don't know that it starts yeah. out well, so some, overt some as I'm looking for this. You know what I'm saying? And, and romance can be shown differently. Like like your wife may not need, for example, you know. Let's let's define what we're talking about because your wife may not need for you to like show up naked, you know, uh, with a rose in your mouth. You know. She, she, I don't think that even be romantic, but she may not need you to give her like a card every day or, you know, write her little secret notes around the house. Your wife may just need for you to take out the trash. And she's, you know, and, and there's a book about this called the five love languages we've talked about before where the guy says, look, there's different ways of showing someone you love them. And each person is programmed differently by their upbringing to give and receive love differently. So their love language may be what's called acts of service. So when you empty the dishwasher, um, you're showing your wife, I value you, I care for you because I'm serving you. That demonstrates my love to you as I would serve you. I'll do whatever you need. With, with some women, it could be quality time. You just sit and talk to them, right? And so when Facebook came out, um, Facebook became this place where suddenly people had this, you know, if the husband was zoning out and drooling in front of the TV when she was trying to talk about her day, Suddenly she could go on and men that were her Facebook friends would start, oh, you know, really? That sounds like a tough situation. And so women get, it's very much a similar thing where it becomes a self-esteem need. And so they need to be careful. But I would say Hmm. that our role as men, it actually falls back largely on us as men. If we are meeting that need in our life then and, and ultimately well i think you got to be careful when you say something like that because the same well, argument could be used it. against you well if the woman had been meeting the men's need then no, no. he wouldn't no have no wondered. and so, here's the thing this is what i was about to say i was about to qualify it and say no one can for all of our uh listening fans here i think they need to know that uh 
right in the middle of recording. We're last five minutes of the show, and your internet goes completely out, and so we're picking up the last five minutes of the show. Like I don't know, eight hours later, something like that. Yeah, and and it went. Here's the thing: it went out for like three and a half hours, and it it I couldn't fix it, and then it suddenly just popped on. Well, you know, you know what it is, is sometimes your internet feels like you don't pay it enough attention and you don't uh, tell the internet how much you appreciate her and, yes, and, uh, you know, so I'm just like, saying. Like our discussion, uh, but you know, funny enough, I have not loved my internet. I have been, I think I've racked up 1500 miles easily in the last two weeks I've been back from traveling. So I still feel like I'm traveling, man. And I am just. I've not gotten better. Two weeks ago, we, when I got back, I think we recorded. I was sick. I'm still sick. <laughs> you get sick a lot. I think it's because your daughter's in school. I don't get sick very much, but my kids aren't in school yet. So I was just going to say absolutely. And uh, what was funny is in the intermediate in the intermediate time, you and me are texting back and forth about this for the next podcast stuff about the eighties still. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I went to Target. And there at the checkout were two movies, like two of the greatest 80s movies yeah. ever. And I was like, oh, that's so going to be on the next podcast. But anyway, well, back to our topic. You yeah, yeah, but about, real quick, I, I actually said to you, that's actually on my list. Not that exact movie, but yeah. that whole range of movies. So anyways, okay. Yeah. All right. So back, we were saying, where, where were we, repeat? We were talking about meeting the needs and you know you'd said well you know sometimes she's not getting her needs met and and i always point yeah. out i mean that that's a that's a double edged sword i mean yes easily a double edged sword you cannot tell me that only the women can't get her needs met because as a man i know there are times when my needs haven't been met so <laughs> i'm just saying it's a double edged sword yeah, and 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 it's not an excuse, but I think as a man, when you were when you were asking particularly about, you know, what about the woman? You know, what about when she's feeling vulnerable? And I think as men, we have that role. Well, as not a just vulnerable, but you know, they they too can put themselves in a position where all of a yes. sudden, you know, just started out as a friend. You know, maybe it was even yeah. one of her husband's friends, and you know, blah 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 blah. Next thing you know, boop. They have an affair. Yeah, and and it's the Harry Met Sally uh, philosophy of ministry that you can't be friends. Guys and girls cannot be friends. You know, it's funny that you say that because for the most part, I don't have a lot of female friends, and most of the female friends that I do have are so considerably older than me that it just would not be pretty. I will say this. I have had some female friends that are my age that I knew I was like, oh, this is just not good. Like yeah. um, years ago, I had a radio show and uh, there were three of us that did it. I was the uh, main host and then uh, this one gal and uh, another buddy of mine. And I remember telling my buddy, I go, don't ever leave me alone with her not that she would ever do anything but i was like i just don't even want to be in that position i I was like this is not a woman i want to be alone with or good friends with or anything like that 
Well, and that's wisdom. See, that's exactly what we're talking about. Having that integrity. Well, that and she was really attractive, and I'm a stupid dude. So I don't know about well, wisdom. or just self-preservation, man, you know? But that's the name of the game. That's actually what we're driving at here is you're stupid. Everybody's vulnerable. And you have to put those protections in place before you get into that situation. So like I said, Peyton Jones does not counsel women. I also don't want to be anybody's Jesus. I don't have a self-esteem need in me. This this vacuum, vacuum this deep black hole, this vacuumous black hole that, that says I just have to suck all attention into myself and I need people to worship me. I mean, if that were the case, I wouldn't be a church planner. But having said that, I mean, it can. Like it can be that all of us want to be loved. All of us love to be appreciated. But you have to be willing to make people angry in this. And I have people tell me off. I have people tell me I'm absolutely stupid. I have minister friends tell me, I just think you're going over the top. I kid you not. Friends that have said that to me are no longer standing. Hmm. And all, all I can say to you is all my friends that uh, I'm just saying, like it, it, it's so important what I'm saying. And I, I, I absolutely cannot stress enough, guys, do not counsel women. Make your wife uh, or or um, another leader's wife the counselor of the women in your uh, ministry. That that is I think, that is crucial. I think another issue that probably we don't have time to get into today, and it's an ironic issue that I'm like the last person in the world to bring it up, but I've seen it so much. What if the issue? that the pastor or church planner faces is a same-sex attraction. Like, um, there are plenty of guys. I mean, easily, of course, you can point to the Catholic Church, right? Because, you know, we saw this run rampant in the 80s and 90s. But to say it's only in the Catholic Church would be naive at best. Um, Yeah. What about... Very naive. Very naive, totally naive. I mean, you can't tell me it doesn't happen in the evangelical world. I mean, that's crazy. I I have witnessed it, and particularly, I mean, I hate to say it, but I I found it more common in Britain um, than here. I think it's probably just more well-hidden here. I really do. Perhaps, yeah. Um, We hide it behind our our big trucks and guns. I don't know. We probably do. uh, I mean, we we really do. But, I mean, I I just, I mean, it, it begs the question... If that's an issue that a pastor has, and <clears throat> I mean, you can be, you know, married to a woman and still have that as an issue in your life. A good example is a guy I worked with years and years ago. I mean, we're talking like late nineties, um, right before I got married. Actually, in fact, <laughs> I had to quit that job because I knew if I quit it, they'd pay me out all my vacation and sick time, and that was enough money to buy uh, the ring for my wife. <laughs> But um, and I hated the job too, so I was like, "All right, I'm quitting." Uh, but there was a guy there who you could totally tell was gay, and he yeah. was married to a woman. And I mean, someone asked him once, you know, uh, about that because I mean, it was obvious. And he just goes, "You know, I just realized that that's not what I wanted in my life. I wanted to be faithful to my wife, and uh, Jesus came into my life and He changed my life." But mm-hmm. here was a Christian dude. Who struggled yeah. with that? Now he wasn't a pastor, but what if you got someone who is a pastor? What does that guy do who struggles with that? Maybe it's totally hidden, right? Maybe he's never let anyone into that side of his world. Uh, does that mean he should not be counseling anybody 
And yes. maybe that is the answer. Maybe, you know, maybe that's it, right? Absolutely. And, and the reason why, um, it, it's just the same exact principle. And the reason it's okay to say that, because someone says, well, wait a second, he's a pastor. But you have to remember the New Testament doesn't just have one dude doing everything. So mm-hmm. um, per- particularly, I'm going to guess that that guy, if he's in that position, um, he's he's hopefully he's not called to be a shepherd because he's not going to be able to fulfill his responsibilities if he is. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, there are four other roles, right? There is the uh, and and he can just say, hey, you know, it's not really my gifting. I'm not really a shepherd. I'm I'm an evangelist or a teacher. What or, if he is a shepherd? Because that that brings up a great question. I mean, what if he is? <laughs> He's screwed. <laughs> you know i don't know i really don't you know if, if he's a shepherd and he can't he can't counsel either one well he's not a very good shepherd that's all i'm saying mm. <laughs> or maybe all his so. shepherding's got to be group shepherding <laughs> you, know? you know quite right for maybe that. he just quite doesn't right do that. the one-on-one he leads the alcoholics anonymous at the church I was going to say there are other ways that he can still fulfill that um, ministry. And I without think, I, I think you hit on a good point. Like he could just say like, cause he doesn't have to tell everyone, Hey, look, you know what? I struggle with same sex attraction. Cause I know that's no. not something I would want to tell people. I mean, it's not something that I suffer from, but if it was, I would be like ashamed. Right. In our society, yeah. that's not it's in the church. Oh my gosh, dude. In the church, you'd be like yeah. an outcast. And it's yeah, not and something it, I'd want to tell people. No, it shouldn't it be. It shouldn't be any more of a shame than anything else, you know, in the church. It's just, you know, and, and I hear it. I hear it a lot. And I think people, because they know that I, I work with people from that population and I minister to people from that community, it, it you know, people often will tell me, um, you know, and, and gosh, man, over the years I've, I've met some, some powerful people. Um, there are people just like uh, Lonnie Frisbee. Mm, who it's very yeah. common knowledge that um, the guy who basically built Calvary Chapel and built uh, the vineyard um, was a homosexual. And yet he was this great. Now, he was a repentant homosexual when God's hand was on him powerfully and using him very, very powerfully. And at a certain point, he just he gave in. You know, uh, they joined the discipleship submission movement. A lot of his issues came out. But the whole time that uh, the dude would just go out on the beach and turn to about, you know, 50 people and say, hey, God loves you and preach to him for five minutes, five minutes, literally eyewitness accounts, five minutes later, he'd be baptizing all of them. Mm. And the guy was so crazy anointed and he was a homosexual. And there are so many people like this that in the church. He actually said at one point, he said, you know, I. I, when I first got saved, because, you know, here's a guy who was up in the mountains naked with a bunch of people dropping acid, reading the Bible, stands up, tells him he's Jesus, and they all need to repent. And ironically, though, that was the day he got saved, even though he was just baked off his head. And, uh, but the reality is, you know, he did get saved. He, he lived in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. You always hear the Jesus movement started in Haight-Ashbury. Well, guess why? Because God took a guy like Lonnie. It was Lonnie. Again, everywhere that dude went, just the spirit was popping. But what he said was when he got down to Southern California um, and he was telling his testimonies, 
he said, I learned to drop that. He said, at first I just said I was a homosexual. And he said, and I learned to drop it because people didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And he just stopped saying it. Sure. And um, years later it all came out and then he had come back after backsliding for years. He died of AIDS, but um, he, he kind of went back into speaking ministry, not pastoral ministry, but, um, but he shared about that, you know, and, and was very open about it. So anyways, it's just a, a side note, but I think in future we will see many, many um, people going into ministry. And so I think you raising that is, you know, it's just part of being in a broken world. And I think we will see it um, more and more. And guys who will be wrestling, I have seen it personally with people on my team as I've church planted and it's come up and it's come out and it's gotten healing. Mm. And all of that to say, guys, um, you know, not about that subject in particular, but about every subject. <clears throat> I think that um, you, if you are in any way jacked up, if you've had abuse, if you've, um, you know, been uh, uh, molested or you've, you just know that you have issues that are unresolved, um, then I would say as you go into ministry, please get therapy as well. I'll tell you the perfect therapist for a minister. This is my, um, my, my perfect combination. If I go talk to somebody, because I learned early on to go talk to people, right? Here's the deal. Um, you go talk to a licensed, like someone who has the degree, has the license for, uh, you know, the, the psychology, therapy, all that. So you go to a fully licensed person, but you make sure they're an ex-pastor and they're charismatic. Hmm. That that combination of a That's guy. That's gotta be who, a tough person to find though. You probably need to yeah, start a database of like who those people are across absolutely. America. And yeah, and everywhere I've lived, I've found them. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it it they're out there and they exist. And at some point, now remember, these are the shepherds. The church didn't really have a place for them. So at one stage, they went, huh you know what, I'm not really like the guy in the pulpit, but I know I'm called to ministry. I know I'm called to help people and disciple them and hold their hand and nurture them through their their injuries and their wounds and bring Jesus into that situation. But because the church doesn't really know how to use me, I'm going to go into this. And that's what happens. Hmm. So they're out there, man. I dig it, man. I dig it. And we are well over our time. That's because we took an eight-hour break in between <laughs> the first 50 minutes of the podcast and this last part. So um, i just like to remind everyone, for next week, if you've got Netflix, watch The Overnighters. It's about Williston, a pastor in Williston. He's actually a, a Lutheran pastor. Uh, every problem that this guy goes through is exactly what you're going to go through as a church planner. And, and I'm hoping Peyton that you'll get a chance to watch it in the next week. I know as busy as you are, that might be a tall order, but, uh, cause I would really love to talk to you and dig into this. I think there are so many lessons that church planners can take from what they see. I mean, literally let's do it, man. so many. Absolutely. Lessons. No, let's do it. We'll set that as the topic and, uh, and we'll hit on it. That's great. I dig it, man. So everyone, the overnighters it's on Netflix. It's free. It is. I mean, it's an independent film. It's actually been winning awards left and right. Uh, and awesome. I mean, when I saw that it won awards from, uh, 
the San Francisco Chronicle, I was impressed because, I mean, San Francisco, as someone who's lived there and knows the Chronicle very well, they do not have a positive opinion of Christians. And even yeah. they were like, wow, this is a great movie because you just see the heart of this guy. And don't, guys, don't Google it before you watch it because you will find out the twist ending. And uh, and you don't want to. I mean, you, you want to watch it and just soak it all in because it's real life. I mean, it's what happened in real yeah real time. It's not looking back. And, so. and we'll owe you guys, for those of you that tuned in today and said, oh, I thought they were going to talk about um, discipleship. You know how to disciple people. That's coming. Don't worry. That's coming. <laughs> give us give us a couple weeks because, uh, yeah, he's a church plant, right? Stuff changes. You adapt and uh, you roll with it. So anyways, guys, thanks for listening. And uh, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to go where nobody's going and reach on, sorry, (laughs) well, just buy a plane ticket then. What's your problem? Leave me alone. No, if you, (laughs) reminding you, let me try that again. You ready? You ready? Uh, Set it back to zero. If you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music